Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I think we've probably all got those um, that night I was arrested stories. Anybody else? Um, well, obviously I was in the police, so I arrested a lot of people. So I was part of lots of 
uh, arrested stories. There was a time though for myself one time when I was walking through the streets of Oldham past a pub called The Spotted Cow walking along with a girl and suddenly this big fight happened and, uh, and I was just walking past and kind of crossed the, over the road to get away from it. The next thing was some drunken guy was kind of flailing out and around about and, and uh, I kind of was, went to protect her, got grabbed by the police and thrown in the van with everybody else and um, it was only by virtue of somebody recognising me as being um, an off-duty police officer that I ended up not staying all night in the uh, prison cell with all the fighting drunks. And to be honest with you, I think if I'd have... Um, if, that, if, if I'd had to spend the night there and my whole life seemed like it was going to be ruined, as it did for a few minutes anyway, um, I don't think I would have been singing a happy song at that point. Um, it would have been quite awful. So imagine describing this as your kind of night out. Um, you're with your friend, you've just come into a new town. At first it seems like people like you, you get welcomed into houses, uh, you're a Christian, you start telling people about Jesus, people seem interested in, in what's been happening, and then um, the next thing is uh, there's a, a girl starts following you down the road who's shouting what seems to be agreeing with the things that you're teaching, but it's not quite right. In fact, you begin to discern that there's an alternative spirit that's working behind this, that is not the spirit of God, and that if people keep listening to that, even though it sounds like the truth, you've got a little bit of something polluting it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin the whole lot of it. So you go and challenge that, and you pray, and you actually see this girl who who's been a slave, set free. So you, you rescue somebody from slavery. You do, do a really, really good thing. But as a result of that, an angry mob surrounds you and starts lying about you and accusing you. And then some people come along and beat you, strip you naked and hit you with wooden rods. And then you get thrown into the local prison. Um, what are you going to do? How are you going to feel? Uh, are you going to be particularly joyful? It says, this is in Acts chapter 16. The city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. How do you feel at this point? What song are you going to be singing if you're ever going to be singing? And the day drags on and nobody's coming to rescue you. And, you know, this isn't like some nice clean prison with your telly or whatever else. I mean, I think the idea of prison for me is horrible anyway, having been in them. They're such oppressive, dark places very often anyway, no matter what, where people have been deprived of their liberty. But then uh, it, it, this is like this pretty horrible room that you're in. And there's you and your friend. And it says, and around midnight, just as it's dark and, and getting like the, the worst time, around midnight, what were they doing? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, singing to God, worship. And the other prisoners were listening. You see, there's something about a person who's worshipping. There's something about somebody who's praying, somebody who is who's shifting their focus away from their circumstances and onto Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, I believe that you're in charge no matter what I see around me. There's going to get other people to listen 
and learn from that. And then just as you think it couldn't get any worse, what happens next? Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. So you're in the middle of your worship and you're singing and suddenly there's this massive earthquake that takes place and the prison was shaken to its foundations. What do you do? Do you carry on singing when everything's shaking, when the whole world around you is wobbling? I've been in an earthquake. Myself and Andy Hawthorne went out together just after the Haiti earthquake. We went to go and, and, uh, and look at what was going on there because through compassion we developed connections and relationships with a number of different partners over the years. And so some of you may have been part of Ivy at the time but we went along and there's nothing weirder than when the earth actually quakes and it did happen a few times while we were there too although we missed the, the worst of it and saw the evidence of the worst of it and uh, the, you know the death and destruction that was brought by it to be somewhere where suddenly the, the ground that you're so used to being secure suddenly all just sort of feels a little bit like well like liquid moving around underneath you and this thing that you thought was so solid is no longer solid anymore and where do you get something solid to base your life upon in those moments and again could you still sing when that is happening when when your life is shaken to the, to the foundations when it feels like you're trapped and it could be for having done nothing wrong and for doing everything right as far as you're concerned how do you get joy how do you get as we're looking in this series of the fruit of the spirit I said that there's some things that only God can grow in your life. You can't do this by trying. There's things you can do by training that can help. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is about trusting God, that his divine life and power inside of you and me, when we get connected and we abide in him, then we can start to abound and grow in all these different areas too. And we looked last week at the first fruit of this, which is love. And now the next thing that grows, once you get that love for God inside of you, once you realize how much you are loved by him, and, and the, you know, the, it might come in this life very rarely that you ever get a glimpse of how much God loves you. Maybe it's only going to be at the end of this life and when we step into the next one, we're going to fully be able to see how much we've been loved by God and how much we are loved by God. When something, when now, as Paul says, we just see through a glass darkly, but then we're going to see perfectly and we're going to know even as we've been fully known by God maybe it'll only be then that we'll step right into knowing that kind of full love that changes everything but when you get a glimpse of that love you get joy the love for me is so connected to the joy and the joy is connected to the love it's impossible to be joyful if you're not loved I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care how many things you can buy, how many places you can go, how many things you have done. Without love, without this love of another kind, this love from heaven, this love that God has put your name on it, has got ready for you, without knowing that love, you're never going to get the joy that you need. Now, you might have a happy life. But you're not going to have a joy-filled life the way that only Jesus Christ can give you and me, no matter what happens. The, the, the way in which Peter, uh, Paul and Silas received it and knew that love, that joy that bubbled up inside of them, no matter where they were and no matter what was going on around them, there was something coming up 
inside of them, which was that joy that made them worship and focus on the Lord. There's a, there's a, a, a man called a professor by the name of Martin Seligman, and I love his writing. He's written a book, a uh, number of books, but he's written one called Authentic Happiness. And he's like the, 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 the professor of happiness. He's the guy who's looked at what it is that makes us have, or makes a person have, a truly happy life. So much of psychology is based upon when things have gone wrong. You find somebody who's, got, uh, who's, who's depressed or somebody who's psychotic or, or whatever it is, and then you learn from them what's gone wrong. But Seligman has gone the other way, and he looks at what people in, in the world who are, who are happy, people who are, who are whole, and he says, what are the common denominators of these kind of people, and can we learn from the positives rather than only from the negatives and, and the, the downs, what can we learn from the ups? And, and I love that way of looking at things. And Seligman um, says that there are actually four types of happy lives. You know, we could just think, oh, well, I wish I'd have a happy life. But actually, um, they're not all the same. And, and lots of them actually to do with choices rather than just um, feelings. These are to do with things that, that a person will, will do in order to be able to get happier and, uh, and, and to get more happiness. He says there's things that you can do in your life in order for you to actually be able to choose more happiness in your life. And we're going to look at a few of those. And the first one uh, is, the first, the first one is, is just to have the fun life, the pleasant life. And, um, and this is like, this is when your goal in life is just to have as much fun as possible, to take as many holidays as you can, to be able to taste all the good food that you can, buy all the nice things that you can, get all the nice massages in all the nice spas or whatever it is that you like, or watch all the comedy that you can, and uh, you know, just just don't worry about anything, just focus on, on good things. And, and basically, it's just to keep on today enjoying lots of positives. And if you, if you can focus on that, of course, it's going to help you to be happier and it sounds a little bit um you know well of course who wouldn't want to do that but actually um some people it seems don't because they don't plug any time in their life for good things they, they, they don't actually you know you can put things in your calendar that, that if for you for instance holidays are something that make you have a happy life then put some in the calendar don't go thinking of all the places that you can't go Plan somewhere that you can go, even for a day, for an afternoon, going out and doing for a walk, or, or if it's to be able to go, and if it makes you happy to meet with your friend for coffee, then ring them and put it in the diary. Don't keep putting it off. Go and have the dinner with the person. Go and have the date night with, the, with, with your, your uh, significant other, your wife, your husband, because that's, that's really good to have a fun life, and, uh, and it can really help you to live live that, that life, it's going to make you a happier person. There's choices we can make around that. The next one, happy life number two, is, is goes beyond the fun life to the, to the good life. And this isn't just about doing something that, uh, that is fun for me. This is actually doing something that uh, I'm, I'm good at. 
So this isn't just fun, doing fun things. This is that, have you ever had that moment when you, you just sort of lose yourself? You become aware that you've just sort of lost yourself in doing something that you really enjoy. Maybe it's painting. I can remember once writing a chapter of a book and, and I, I just, the whole day just went and I was kind of taken over by, so absorbed by that thing. And, and it's when you get into something that you really love, it could be, I don't know what it is for you, it could be photography. It could be something that you, you know, you're just really, really good at. And you just don't notice the passage of time when you're painting that picture, when you're writing that music, all those kind of things. This may or may not be your work. It's great if it's your work. If you can find a way to work at what you love, then you'll never actually work a day in your life, will you? You'll just be doing the things that you love. And the more hours that you can spend doing those things, doing, you're going to have the good life. And, and again, it's really, it's down to choices. It's, a lot of this is down to us deciding I'm going to make more time for that and less time therefore for this and for that. You know, it could be that, for instance, that video games could be something that are fun for you and that you like doing, but unless you're ever likely to, you know, to in some way um, get any great benefit from your hours and hours and hours and hours of doing that, you're actually in danger of wasting a lot of your life. And you, you might be thinking it's the fun life, but it's not actually doing much good. Next one um, is actually the meaningful life. This is one way which goes beyond being good for me and starts by being good for you. This is when my life is, uh, is like I'm using my strengths and I'm doing things that I like, but I'm actually doing them in such a way that it benefits other people too. Um, this is what the Japanese call ikigai. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but, but there's a, I think it's Okinawa in, Jap in Japan where people live the longest lives ever. And uh, the, the reason that, well, certainly now, people live in, most people, many people live into their 90s, etc. And they looked at it and it's not about the diet so much or all these, or the, the, the climate or, or whatever. They, they, they don't have a word for retirement. These older people instead talk about ikigai, which is the reason I get up in the morning. And it's actually having a reason to get up and do something, which isn't about um, whether I get paid for it or not necessarily. It's that I feel I'm valuable and I'm, I'm contributing in some ways that are making life better for other people and for society and, and around me. And yeah, it takes effort to do that. that do, these, again, this is about choices and it's about actions. But if you want a happy life, it can't just be all about you. It can't just be all about me getting the things I want. It's going to start to move through that and in, into making a difference in the lives of other people. The more I do that, the happier actually I'm going to be. This isn't just from the Bible. This is actually what's been shown time and time again in psychological studies. The happiest people are the ones who are learning how to live a meaningful life that benefits others. And uh, say, if you, if you put all of those three together, what you end up with, Seligman says, is something called a full life. This is, this is like when you, uh, when, when you have some ideas and some goals about what kind of contribution you want to make in your life that's going to be bigger than you. When you've made some decisions to do some things that you're going to enjoy and you're going to make the time to not just do those things but to do other fun things as well increasingly then you're going to end up with a really good life. This is like 
as much as you can, having good fun, minimizing you know, pain in your life in order to be able to get more pleasure is what that one is. That's the aim of that. Again, you might think, well, I wish I could do that. There are some things perhaps you can do in order to be able to at least get more good things going on in your life. The good life is when you go into the things that you're really good at and you spend more time doing the things that you're good at and that you enjoy. The more you can do of that, the happier your life's going to be. But then again, it's not just for you. This is the good life plus helping others equals the meaningful life. And then all of these things added up together becomes the full life where uh, I use my skills and I'm, and I'm doing things that I love in such a way that it will help other people. Now, according to psychology, that's how you get happiness. And I think in doing so, you're edging towards something that we can talk about of joy. Because when I see that phrase, the full life, when I read it in the book, I remembered the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. Because he says, the thief comes. That's the devil. That's the enemy of your soul. God loves you and has a plan for your life. There is a personal God. At the same time, you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, to, to rob everything in your life and leave you empty, unfulfilled, and sad, and alone forever. That's Satan, that's Lucifer. And Jesus says, if you follow his plan, that's what he's going to do. He's going to steal, kill, and destroy. Bad. Do not to do that. <laughs> he's, he's the wrong one to follow, because then Jesus says, but... I have come so that you may have life in all its fullness. You may have life abounding. You may have an abundant life. How do you get that? Well, let's go back. If you were with us on this series so far, you're going to remember how it was that we, we said that we abound. The way that we abound is that we abide. We get connected into Jesus Christ. If you are connected into Jesus Christ today, this is, I don't, do you think, does anybody watching this think that the first time that Silas and Paul worshipped was at the end of a very bad night, having been arrested, having been beaten up, having been lied about, having been thrown into a prison, that then they thought, oh, we better learn to worship. We better start to pray. No, that's not the way it worked. In fact, the passage starts out with them. It says going on their way to pray. They weren't on their way to go and set this girl free, this slave girl free, and to do those. You know, they weren't, they, they weren't on their way to some mission looking for a meaningful life. They weren't just doing the good things that they wanted to do. Actually, they'd made their highest goal connection with God. And as they were walking, as they were going through life, and as they were on the way to the place of prayer, life happened to them, like life happens to you and to me. And it's in those moments that we're going to find out what's inside of us, because what's inside of us comes out of us when we get squeezed. Life squeezed them. Life thrashed them. Life bashed them. Life threw them into a dungeon, put stocks on their feet. Now what's inside of you? Wow, I, I dread to think sometimes when I look at my own life, when, when I think about how I get pressured and what comes out of me in those pressured moments. Lord, I need you to fill me. I need your life inside of me, Lord Jesus. If it's true, and I believe it is that you've, you said 
that, that when I get your life inside of me, I'm going to have a fullness of life, life in all of its fullness and, ab and, and abundance, then I, want, I do want to abide in you. I want to rest in you. Is that you too? Do you, do you join me in praying that that would be the case for you? Because when that happens, that kind of life, other people start to take notice of that kind of life. Here's why this really matters. The world is watching how you and me go through the same things and maybe some of the worst things that they also go through. Because throughout this life, we're all going to have circumstances and situations that are going to squeeze us and hurt us and may at times feel like they're absolutely going to break us. And when you get broken open, what comes out? I've just spent some time today with somebody who's absolutely astounded me. I won't go into the details. In a pastoral situation that I just know, if that was me, if I was you, I, I would be, I don't know how I would react, but the way this person, they're broken and the fragrance of Jesus has been released. So, so beautiful, so sweet. Such an incredible offering to God that in their brokenness, they're worshipping. I've seen it twice with this person in the space of a week as they're going through what no doubt I believe will be the, the, the hardest thing, the hardest time in their life. What a privilege to be able to spend some time and be with somebody and get a glimpse of Jesus and the goodness of God as, as this person keeps finding a way to be thankful, keeps finding a way somehow to praise between the tears as the tears dry, as the tissue comes out and gets put away, then the prayer will come. That's costly. That is fragrant. That is a sacrifice of praise. That's beautiful for Jesus. That's the kind of prayer and worship that shakes the whole earth. Because that's what happened. As they began to worship, this massive earthquake came and the prison was shaken to its foundations. You know, you might feel trapped you might feel that you're in bondage to, to situations or something in life right now. In the name of Jesus, as you start to worship, as you start to pray, may the joy of the Lord be your strength today. And may the joy of the Lord crack open and burst open everything that's been holding you back so that you can be free in the Lord. All the doors immediately flew open and the prison doors wide open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. See, I think this is connected to the worship. This is connected to the, to the joy that was going on inside of them. There's something very powerful about worship. There's something very powerful about praise, and it's all linked to joy. When that joy rises up inside of you, there's been times I've come in to a place of worship and I've, and I've come in like this and I've been like, Lord, I don't know, and there's this and there's that, and then the worship starts to play and, and the music starts to get turned up in me and something breaks. Have you ever had that happen? Something starts to shake and the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoner had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. You know, this was like one of those situations when, when um, this is like when Jesus by the way, when, when he was put in a tomb, 
And it all seemed to be the most, the, the, the lost, the worst, the most awful day ever was when they put Jesus in the tomb and then they sealed it with the Roman seal that would show that anybody who breaks this themselves would be subject to the death penalty. But if you were the soldiers who were placed on, to guard the tomb as they were placed to guard the tomb, then if that prisoner escaped, if you like, or if, if somebody stole the body, you could expect to serve their sentence or to die to be executed themselves. So, just another proof that Jesus really died and rose again. This is what they were celebrating. This is what they were singing. That, that That Jesus knows what prison's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused. Jesus knows what it's like to be beaten and bruised. We, we have a God who's not removed from our troubles. We don't have some God who doesn't care about our troubles, who's apathetic towards them. That when we connect with God and see who he really is, then we realise that, that Jesus knows what it feels like. He's, he's acquainted with sorrows. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. This prison guard didn't know this, this warden in charge of the place. He just thought, that's the end of my life. But that moment of of him thinking it was the end of his life, it became the beginning of a new life for him because Paul had some really good news for him too. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Really good question. See, we can't save ourselves. I I know what it's like to be somebody who's in charge of other people who've been arrested. I know what it's like, as I said at the beginning, to be an arresting person who's arrested other people. Um, Actually, that made me quite a self-righteous person. It made me somebody who would look at other people and think, well, they're sinners and they're sinners, but I never saw myself as a sinner. It could possibly be that this warder up until this point, he's been placed in charge of all these bad guys, all these criminals. And when you get that, that helps you to be able to point to other people and think, well, compared to them, I'm not as bad. But nobody's comparing to them anymore. This is compared to the power of God the holiness of God. He's suddenly confronted in this moment with the magnitude of who, of, of how small and powerless he really is and just how great and powerful God is. Something like an earthquake will do that to you, by the way. What must I do to be saved? Now, does Paul say to him, be good from now on, try your best? No. Does he say, well, well, what I want you to do is actually focus on having a happy life. So, so go from here and try and just have a lot of fun. No, he didn't say that. Does he say, well, I want you to, to try and to just do the things that, that make you happy, concentrate your life on them. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't even say to him, um, just, just be good to other people and, and use your, your, your life to benefit other people. He didn't say that because he's actually not just aiming at a happy life. What this jailer needs is to be saved. He knows what he needs. He needs a a new life. He needs to trade the empty life and be able to say yes to the full life. How do you get that? Be good. No. Um, Read your Bible. Good idea, but no. Pray X amount of times a day. No. It's not religious things that we do. It isn't trying. It's trusting. It's being connected. Here's the answer. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everybody else. 
in your household, in your ecos, in your network of relationships. This isn't just for you. It's meant to spread out to everybody else in your family, all your acquaintances, and everybody who gets to know you. So again, I've said this before, maybe you'd say, I don't know whether or not I'm a Christian. If you don't know whether or not you're a Christian, I know you're not, but you can be. How? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that salvation change that takes place inside of you, the way that you go through what others go through, but you go through it differently because you have joy on the inside of you, no matter what, because you have Jesus on the inside of you, no matter what. That's going to make a difference to them too. And he shared the word of the Lord with him. That's all I've tried to do today is bring the word of God to you. But there's something about receiving the word of God that only you can do. I can do my part, but it's up to you to, to say yes and to receive that. And so I'm going to pray now and I'm going to invite you to open up your life to joy. Not just to be able to make the aim of your life that you'd lead a, a good life or a happy life, but that you would have the joy that comes that only comes from knowing Jesus and that fullness of life. So why don't you pray with me wherever you are now? You don't have to close your eyes or bow your head or do any of that if you don't want to. We don't need the music on in the background or anything. This is just between you and God, right where you are. Just become aware of his presence. If you know him, maybe you can just start to worship him and pray to him. If you don't know him, you can. You can just open up your life to him and say, Lord, I'm ready I'm ready for, for you thank you for bringing to this, me to this point in my life and I realise that maybe I've got chains that need to be broken there's things that have gone through I've gone through in my life that have, have brought me down into this place where I need you or maybe right now it doesn't matter maybe you're in a good place and you've got a happy life but you know there's more there is Lord, I, I ask that you would give me what only you can give me, that you would give me life everlasting, that you would give me forgiveness for all of my sins, that you would give me enough joy to overflow for other people around me. I pray, Lord, that you would turn my mourning into dancing, that you would remove from me the, just the, the heaviness the spirit of heaviness, and instead of that, I would now receive from you the garland of praise, the crown of joy. Let that stream bubble up from the inside of me as I'm connected to you as the source of my life. Let your joy overflow. Let other people around me see a life that's transformed. Let me be a life that's transformed so that other people want to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. That they'll be like, I want some of what you're having. I'll have what you've got. Lord, give me that kind of a life that makes other people hunger and thirst for you. And now may the power of the Holy Spirit surround you, fill you, overflow in you and from you into this broken and needy world so that when people are looking for answers to the terrible things that happen in this world, yes, to earthquakes and disasters, big things and small, that they'll be able to find somebody who has joy on the inside that never stops flowing. May that be you and may that be me in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.